What is up, everyone? I am Chris Sinclair, and I am joined by my fellow host, Drew Garrison. Me, 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 me. We are a couple of self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience who should back to the days of washing dishes and cleaning pizza ovens, all the way to owning multiple businesses, this right, and selling some of the most exclusive brands in the world. Our goal is to walk you through today's most interesting alcohol and industry headlines while sipping amazing drinks as we do it. Drew, what is up, man? What are we covering today? Hey, buddy. It's uh, it's so good to be here. At, back in the saddle, we took the week off uh, to think about other things. I think you went camping. I don't know why people do that, but they do. And um, so we're so we're going to try to fix all that stuff. We're going to try to get back in people's uh, back in their heads. And on today's episode, you know, of course, we're going to sip on some really amazing spirits, and we have some really cool stories lined up for you guys. One's about a huge buyout that occurred actually today. We're going to talk about a live auction, the live auction capital of the world, and a government that will pay you to destroy your wine. And of course, we're going to have our follows of the week. But first, before we get to that, Chris, what are you drinking? (laughs) Every time it sounds like I'm taking a pee. (laughs) He's not. Just just be clear. He's not. I am drinking. I am drinking. Vecchio Amaro del Capo. Man, I love this stuff. Um, uh, A fun story is Jen and I had this at a bar in San Francisco. I think we were, we were down there for probably one of my, my, uh, cocktail comps back in the day and we'd had it. And, uh, my wife does not like, um, overly aggressive spirits. Uh, Like she's not a whiskey fan. Um, not to say that she, she couldn't be, it's like, I'm convinced that if we go to Scotland, she will all of a sudden become like, the biggest, you know, like fangirl of, of scotch. But it, as of right now, I, I just don't, you know, it's not the case. So, uh, but we, she's like the Mari and we had this one, a bartender. I, I got, I, I wish I could remember where we had it, but an, a, a bartender poured this for us and we went on a search for it. And it actually took us a couple years to be able to find it. Now, like we weren't, it wasn't a day and night search, right? But um, <laughs> it's uh, like your whole life was dedicated just yeah. to that. <laughs> but, you know, every time we go to the store, it'd be like, oh, hey, do you remember the name of that? Uh, you know, and she'd have to like pull it back up and be like, okay, I'm going to this bottle shop. I'm going to look for it. I'm going to ask for it. And it took us, took us a year or two. And then uh, eventually we found a bottle at Cask uh, in San Francisco. Uh, and apparently they'd carried it on and off. Um, but it was... It was number one on top of my list when I opened up Good Bottle, um, and come to find out, uh, I, I got it from I got it from Skernick, uh distributor here in California, and my my rep who is uh, um, at least locally fairly infamous for being a for being a, a well renowned psalm, um, uh, was telling me that that this Amari is is the number one selling Amari in Italy. And I, I kind of didn't believe him because I'm like, you're a fucking wine guy. Like, what do you know? <laughs> but I, I did some research and, and yeah, this, um, this Amaro is the best, is the best selling Amari in Italy. And it's, 
almost impossible to find in the US. Um, we sell it like crazy. It's awesome. It's like honey. It's like lightly viscous with like a little bit of like um, licorice and anise. Like it's soft anise. It's not like hardcore black licorice. It's a little bit of peppermint and and then some sort of like chamomile and it's just it's great. It's still it's an amari, so it's still a little bit bitter, but it's not overbearing in any way. It's totally really well balanced. It's just lovely, lovely juice. And, and and ever since we we had it, and the fact that my wife loves it is such a big deal. Um, so we always have some in the house, and uh, I have to make sure that I always sell it at the store because we can't ever be out of it. <laughs> and for our listeners at home who might not be familiar with like Amaro, and then also maybe throwing in like Amari, what what exactly is that within the spirits world? So so Amari is just the the plural of Amaro. Um, uh, it is a, uh, lightly bitter, uh, liqueur that is, that is herbal, um, usually flavored with roots and flowers and herbs. Um, the, the, the term is Italian, but, um, the, at least the idea is not, is not just Italian, you know? Um, we have Amaros that come from all over the, the planet. You know, we've got, especially here in the U S now as, as the sort of cocktail culture has taken over and the, the love for Amari has grasped, I guess, bartenders, um, you know, uh, Fernet could be considered an Amari, uh, Jägermeister could also be considered an Amari. Um, but, but those tend to be more on the, let's say, aggressive end of things, um, and the culture of consuming them uh, isn't the same of, of consuming other amari. Um, you'll find a lot of amari end up as ingredients in cocktails, um, and they're not just you know they're just not shots. They're not party shots. You know they're they're not uh, that that hazing culture that Fernet has. Uh, 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 <laughs> that's the bane of every barback's existence. Um, they are, they're, they're delectable. You know, they're just, uh, really, really delightful to just sit and enjoy and sip on, especially after dinner. It helps with your digestion. Um, especially with the little bit of the sugar that's involved there. It's kind of like, it's a nice adult dessert. Yeah. I, that's probably my favorite thing about, Amaro's and just to kind of circle back just to the, um, to the bane of every bar backs life, uh, Fernet is often considered like the bartender handshake. And then you get as a bar back, you just have to take lots of shots as part of like your process in order to become a bartender. So just a little bit of there. So people, yeah, it's are, like, it's like earning your stripes. Yeah. You, know, you so have to, just, you have to take down enough shots and uh, still be able to do your job. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, to kind of, and then to bring it back to what you just finished on is I'm totally there with you. I love to go out, have a big meal and then finish it with some, you know, any, any type of Amaro. And more often than not, I find myself like in a situation where, you know, most bars are not going to like, they just don't have a whole lot of them. Um, you can kind of always rely on like Montenegro, which is really great. Um, or you can, you can really have like the, the Fernet uh, as the Fernet Branca. And I remember one time sitting in a nice restaurant in Sonoma 
had this really nice steak dinner and I'm looking at the bar and I'm looking for, you know, some sort of, uh, after meal drink. And I see the friend, I was like, Oh, this would just be really great to help me, you know, kind of put down this meal. And, um, so I say like, yeah, let me get a, let me get just a shot of the Fernet. And of course the server is like, I don't think that we have that. And I was like, I can assure you that you do. It's right there on the right <laughs> side of your bar. Just go over there, grab it. So, you know, it's like, it's like one of those bottles that you can, you can kind of just find in any, in any bar, like at some point, some rep put it in every bar in America. So, um, but I, but I, it's definitely one that I want to explore further and, um, you know, good bottle has been a really great resource for that. And then I have a couple of friends of mine that are just total Amaro geeks that I've been kind of leaning on them for different suggestions and stuff like that. So it's a fun, it's a fun rabbit hole to go down, uh, for sure, which I really appreciate about it. I actually, uh, I know the woman who is almost directly involved, uh, directly responsible for the um, culture shift towards Fernet, um, and and maybe at some point in time we'll uh, we'll jump down that rabbit hole. But I'll leave I'll leave our listeners with a little bit of a tease. And uh, her name is uh, she goes by uh, Fernet Antoinette. <laughs> Um, and she is uh, one of the very few people that I will actively hide from when I see um, because she always leaves me with a terrible hangover and a wonderful night that I wish I could remember. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, Drew, what are you sipping on? You know what? I have no idea. And the reason I have no idea is because I actually went and picked up one of your mystery tasting packs this week. And so earlier today, obviously I sent you a text message asking you to pick a number between one and six and you picked two. So I'm drinking number two tonight. And for, for people at home, it's this really cool thing that Chris put together for the good bottle shop where you get five samples and you have some notes here that you can put like brand, mark, distillery, ABV, tasty notes, and you get points for each one. And then once you submit this at the end, whoever has the most points gets a um, what a gift card and the ultimate bragging rights. So, so that's what I have in front of me. And <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, what that's that's great. Uh, you know, what's fun about this is um, uh, my partner and my single employee Yvonne uh, were wise enough to, to take me out of the equation. So I don't even know what you're sipping on. That's awesome. Um, I know, I know what bottles they could be, but I don't know which, I don't know in which order it was. And, and it was a really smart move because I will probably get drunk and tell someone. So they were, they were very wise in that, in that, in that decision. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think it's I think it's really well done. I really like the presentation. And again, you have these being sold till the end of the month, right? So people yeah. can still pick them up. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I love I just love the setup of it. And it's so specific. And you know, it's also one of those things too that, you know, especially for us in the industry where like this is very tempting, but then this is also like the worst idea ever to participate <laughs> in. Because it just, it, you know, especially looking at five different samples, I mean, and, you know, then you, then you consider just the vast amount of products that are available in the world. 
um, you're just kind of like, what if, like, what am I, what am I doing this for? Um, you know, sipping on this one, you know, I, I'm getting some, I'm getting some strong bourbon notes to it and I'm fairly sure what it is. But even saying that now out loud, I'm kind of like, I'm probably fucking wrong. Like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. I, I mean, blind tasting is so hard. It's so hard. Um, even if you have some clue, like, like we gave everybody, um, you know, the heads up that everything in this box is American whiskey. Oh, see, I didn't even, li- I didn't even pay attention to that. So I, I actually had a moment where I popped open because I, I, this is the first time I, I'm drinking this at all. Okay. I have not touched any of this. And maybe had I known this was the case, I probably wouldn't have done it. But because um, I, I smelled all the bottles, and I was like, ah, fucking no, no peated scotch. I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> I, now that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> so, OK, yeah, at some at some point in time, we'll, we'll you know, we'll we'll try to make our rounds. Uh, but the inspiration for this came from came from. Uh, River City Whiskey Society, probably about six months ago. Um, yeah, probably about six months ago now. Someone, and I can't remember for the life of me who on Facebook was talking smack to a very good friend of ours who was incredibly knowledgeable, oh, Jason yeah. Wild. Yes. And yeah. Jason Jason Wild has worked for Future Brands. He is designed hands down one of the most intensive training manuals for, for understanding spirits that I've ever read in my life. Um, The guy, the guy knows his shit inside and out and, and like better than most people um, that you would even imagine. And then plus some, and, and there were a couple people who were trying to gang up on him because he's not, I think a typical uh, commenter on a lot of, a lot of, uh, the River City Whiskey Society posts on Facebook. He is not. And all I remember is a lo- is a bunch of the maybe like three or f- three or four of of the industry professionals just going, "Hey, you guys, you guys might want to like back off just a little bit, or like you might you might want to just check yourself just a little bit." Yeah. Uh, to which, of course, it's social media, so everybody doubles down. Um, <laughs> but this is that's the inspiration for this which was okay you think you know what you're talking about prove it well i and, remember us getting onto that zoom call not too long after and really kind of um there was a bunch of us from from all over the place and this is this is very early pandemic so it was actually oh man maybe the, my first zoom call or second zoom call that i'd ever done which Holy is moly, funny. Now you're a pro. Well, yeah, right. Because then that led to just like just this most re- the most ridiculous virtual happy hour run I you know ever. But um, but yeah, I God, I'm gonna have to find that conversation because we definitely were just kind of like I can't believe that this person's coming so hard at Jason, who first like you said, one of the nicest guys ever, but without question one of the most educated people in our industry, you know? So yeah, especially when it comes to American whiskey. I mean, the guy, the guy just knows his shit. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, and which eventually I, I came from playing, um, a lot of poker growing up. And when you play in poker rooms, there's a, there's a headhunter sort of opportunity, which, which means that they usually, Sometimes, sorry, not usually. They will sometimes bring in a pro 
to play at the table. And if you if you best a pro on a high stakes hand, you'll win a prize automatically. You know, it doesn't matter even if even if you win or the pro wins or whatever, but if you like out outplay the pro, you get a prize. Um and and so the the idea is to bring Jason in, who's already agreed to this, uh and eventually as we grow this concept is to have Jason be the headhunter. So people people just try to outscore him. Whether or not they're like trying to win the whole thing or not, they're just trying to outscore him and see uh and and see what their scores are and then that'll add to additional bragging rights. And that that should make for a good time. And and Jason's a um he's a good enough of a sport to uh to, to say to eagerly say count him in. I found the conversation and it's amazing. I like it's I'm not I can't obviously I can't read it all right now, but I'm just looking at some of these comments and I'm like, oh, my God, there's even I mean, it's just immediately. So I'm going to have to tag you in it so you can see it again. No, I can't. Um, wait. It's uh, it really is great. And and I and I will say, you know, I'm one of the people that is um, as one of the administrators for that group. And there's just times where it really falls off the rails, you know, and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever why it, it does that but you know people get they, they get in their head that like oh i need to i need to voice my opinion and you really don't know who you're talking to ever you know so um this was a perfect example of that so yeah i'm but i'm but i'm sipping on one of your one of your samples yeah um, and I, you know I'm, I'm excited i we got a we got a lot of really great feedback from doing this um uh, even in the middle of it happening, you know, it's not done. I'm still receiving texts tonight from, from people who are involved and they're really excited about it. And and we're getting people who are novices who just want to push themselves. And we're getting people who are pros uh, who also just want to push themselves, which I think is so key, right? I mean, you and I are of a certain ilk where we never want to stop learning. And you and I are not afraid to admit when we don't know a thing. Um, but I think so many people are wrapped up in this concept of being, uh, you know, all knowing yeah. and infallible. And I, I think you and I share the same mind, which is what, what we love about this industry is that, you know, we're going to die with a smile on the face, knowing that we never learned everything and that we will spend every day of our lives learning something new about this industry. Yeah, I think the um, one thing that I've recently adopted in terms of just like a, a moniker is like, I just want to be an eternal student and I want to continue to learn. And um, and now, like, again, because, you know, leave it to me to, to miss out on the details. Uh, definitely not a character trait of me at all. Um, now, knowing that it's all American whiskey, it's like, I know I stand no chance. Because if there's any whiskey at this point that I've drank the least of, it's now American whiskeys. So I'm going to be like, funny. I'm going to be like, yeah, they all taste like bourbon, which is probably, <laughs> you know, I'm sure that you, know, you might win. <laughs> yeah, no shit, right? So, but this is this is really fun, and so you know, if, for for the people out there, you still have a couple of weeks to do it, and if and if even if you don't get it in in time, I mean, who cares? Like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do it again, also. Um, and, and we'll, we'll go, we'll, we're just going to run the spectrum because who knows what people like, you know? So we'll yeah. go all over the place. And then, and the idea, hopefully at the end of it is to do like, a um, a tournament style 
you know, head to head. It should be it should be a lot of fun with uh, oh, some pretty pretty amazing prizes. It's brutal. Um, all right. Well, we've we've talked everybody's ears off for twenty minutes of drinking stuff and not sharing anything with them. So uh, I think now it's time for our opinion on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. Flawless. Flawless transition. <laughs> I love that. Um, so Davos Brands was was bought today by Diageo for $610 million. So Davos consists of brands like Balcones, Sombra Mezcal, Astral Tequila, Taiku Saki, and Ichiko Sochu. And, and the one that was highlighted the most today in every publication, Aviation Gin, the same gin that's owned by Ryan Reynolds. Um, so Chris, when you see a big behemoth like Diageo buying a small group of brands like this, what is the what what comes to mind for you? Honestly, man, I am a, I'm of I'm of m- multiple minds. I, I you know, like first of all, I remember when aviation was a startup. I remember when Brooke Arthur was running through San Francisco. And uh, she had just left being being a bar manager, being a bar manager of multiple bars that were highly reputable. And I've talked to her about this so many times and how people just wouldn't they wouldn't budge, especially in San Francisco. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, 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 you're our friend. I know that I used to be a brand ambassador and you used to buy shit for me, but whatever, just some other gin. Um it's it's so crazy to me to see a, a tiny ass gin coming out of Portland like that, um, that so many of our friends have worked have worked directly for that brand to help grow it. So like, there's a certain amount of pride that comes along with that. That like, oh shit, like this tiny little thing made it. That's fucking cool. Well, and it's and it's not just that. It also started. I mean, it was with House Spirits. First, yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's made by House Spirits. And correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure someone will. I believe that it's still being made by House Spirits. There, I, I do remember. So, so going back into our time machine, um, two to three years ago, uh, the original company that started it was House Spirits, which again located in Portland. It was then bought by Davos. Yep. Um, in in a partnership with Ryan Reynolds, the actor, Deadpool, all these other fun fun movies um and then but part of that contract was it would continue to be produced by the people at house spirits there were plans i believe that they would move into a new facility and as they as they continue to increase production um but i feel like that wasn't that long ago and who knows what that looks like now Um, yeah i don't know if there was None of the I don't know if it out. was if, if it was like similar to Hangar One in St. George, right? Where it was for a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. and then and then they would release the production so that way St. George could still like maintain their their good look, right? So it wouldn't hurt their brand. Um, yeah, I, I if thinking back on it, I do feel that there was like a there was a time frame on it. Um you know, aviation, again, uh, with the multiple ties that we have on a personal level with it, but it really was a gin that I don't I don't know why. I mean, I think I really enjoyed the packaging. Um, this is dumb, but 
when I went to Portland, I got a hat from there. And it was one of my favorite hats till my dog ate it. And that was a <laughs> devastating day. Um, you know, it was, it's, it's, it's just weird. Like you said, there's like these weird ties to it. And then of course, it's, what, it's um, one of the only craft brands that made a flair competition. Um, I literally quit a job uh, because Brooke Arthur told me I had to compete in this flair competition in during Portland cocktail week. So I left a job at a dive bar that Mark Neuhauser had gotten me that job. And uh, Mark Neuhauser is a beast and he makes a ton of money no matter what shift he's working. And I made scraps compared to him and I was very upset. And the uh, the owner of said bar did not treat me as nicely as they treated Mark. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to Portland. I got to go. <laughs> and so I gave uh, I gave my I gave like a week notice on that job. And went to Portland and competed in a uh, in a flare uh, flare competition, which uh, the video is still up online. It's still an amazing video. The people who are involved in that video uh, are all legends. Uh, Travis Tober's in that video. Travis Tober now works for Aviation through Davos Brands. Um, who else is in that video? There's a, a, a Jeffrey Morgenthaler. Um, there's just so many people. It was, it was such an incredible you're, experience. You're dropping a lot of like super heavy industry names. I know, I really and I'm love. sorry. I'm sorry, everybody. I um, it's just it. It was such a like a, an iconic point in time for this industry, and and being in Portland and being part of Portland Cocktail Week at the height of its success. Um, it was just it was invigorating. You know, and 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 aviation gin was so much a part of that, and they let they Westward whiskey was always the point of House Spirits. That was going into going into House Spirits. You talk to you talk to Christian uh, Krogstad, and and that's what he tells you is like he always wanted to make whiskey, and he always wanted to make an American single malt. But aviation gin just captured this this part of the bartender psyche that it just like do specifically to Brooke Arthur, you know, uh, she just tapped into that communal side of everybody who just wanted to party, who just wanted to have a good time, but who also gave a shit about what they did. And, and aviation gin just personified that in so many ways. Um, so it's really cool to see, so, to see a brand like that, quote unquote, make it. But I'm also terrified that they're going to lose, t- you know, that they're going to sell out, you know, as a brand. I mean, they literally have sold, they've made it. Um, but I, I hope that, that whoever is remains part of, of the brand corporate structure remembers that shit, you know, and they, they pay homage to that and they, they represent the people who really helped develop and carry the legacy of that brand from the get-go, which is the bartenders. Well, and I even think that there it's a brand that has kind of had its finger on the pulse as well. So even as it went into the new ownership group and Ryan Reynolds and stuff, I don't know if you recall, um, I think it was, you know, during the holiday season back when that Peloton commercial came out about the guy who buys his wife a Peloton or maybe yep. girlfriend. 
Yep. And it was not well received and rightfully so. And then Aviation Gin came out with a commercial where that actress who was in, or that actor who was in that, because you're not supposed to say actress now, that actor who was in it, they found her and put her into a Aviation Gin commercial where her two friends are sitting there kind of being like, and he did what? And he bought you this? <laughs> and it was just, it was so perfect. And, you know, and a big part of of, of that brand, I mean, and, and again, I just think that there was always this constant association with just cool people with Aviation Gin. And Ryan Reynolds ended up being kind of an extension of that. Um, and, you know, and to your point of the, it was kind of like this perfect time, this perfect moment, you know, Portland cocktail week, craft uh, gin in general, you know, really becoming a thing in America and this being one of the things that kicked it off. I mean, it, you know, Portland became so ridiculous and such a hub for creativity with bartenders that, you know, one of the things that you do when you go to Portland and you get to the airport is you take a picture of the carpet as you're coming into the city. Like that was just like, that was just another thing that like happened, you know, which oh is so my God. weird. Sorry. I'm, I ha- I'm just like, I'm remembering now. Um, there was a point in time during, during the competition, the flare competition where uh, Morgenthaler got so drunk that they had to replace him on the judging panel. And uh, Toby, Toby Cicchini, who in, who is the inventor of the Cosmo, took his place on that judging panel for the, for that flare competition. It's just fucking incredible. And, and but, if you don't, if you don't, if you guys don't know who Toby Chikini is, he, he wrote a book called Cosmo. You should read it. It's uh it's, it's a snapshot of a, of a, like a, a period in time where the Cosmo came to be. And it's so, such a clear, and concise representation of what was happening at that moment. And it's, it's just incredible. Well, I mean, I think when you say that, you know, who the person who created the Cosmo, we all kind of, we all kind of know what that is. Like you gave more description to the descriptive guy than to Morgenthaler. <laughs> it's funny. Um, That's fine. That, we'll, we'll just leave it at that always. Okay. I do have one more. <laughs> I have one more question for you on this because, you know, this is, this is something that you see a lot. I mean, that don't like, don't, don't get us wrong. This is a huge purchase. $610 million is nothing to, to scoff at. And, um, but there are a lot of brands here that are part of this deal. When you look at this list of brands, is there anything on this list that you could see Diageo kind of either letting go or just stopping production on or anything like that? I don't, yeah, I don't know about stopping production, but I definitely, Diageo is very, very good about highlighting, you know, um, I think it's going to take, you know, three to five years to see what they like stop production of or sell off. Um, but they're, they're very, very adept at building brands and developing messaging and, and creating a story that puts brands into the, the, the social stratosphere, you know? So I, I don't think that they're going to really get rid of many, at least not at first. What I definitely see is 
them building their Mescal portfolio and definitely building their gin portfolio um, outside of outside of their, you know, quote unquote luxury brands. Yeah, I agree. I think they're going to get rid of Sombra Mezcal too. Yeah, I, I don't know I'm if they'll get kidding. rid of it. I think I think they're going to build it. I, I don't think they're going to get rid of it. I think they'll build it. it it'll um, be a weird one to, we'll to figure out. I mean, Sombra is one of those ones that, again, early early to the, the party when it came to Mezcal. And I think like when you hear about, you know, they have their Espadine and I believe they do a Tobola now too. They were trying to expand, you know, the, the product line. And I remember hearing the pricing early on. It was like, what are you guys smoking? That is yeah. not. Well, and Taiku is sort of the same way. Like, like, okay, it's sake. It's in a, it's in a sexy little bottle. It's meant for clubs, which is sort of weird. Cause, uh, at least in the U.S., we don't have a, a strong club sake culture, but I, I could foresee them maybe pivoting away from that. But you know, Diageo is so huge that just what they do in the U.S. is such a drop. It's not a drop in the bucket, but it it doesn't it doesn't consist of everything that they do, right? So it might be it might be something that they develop into an international brand. So Hong Kong is considered the global live auction capital of the world. Um, They're constantly auctioning off different bottles of uh, rare, rare offerings. And the one they have coming up is no different. They're going to be auctioning off 444 bottles. And these whiskeys are valued at anywhere from 1.6 to 2.1 million dollars. So we're talking about some real, real heavy hitters. And part of this, um, you know, kind of trend that's continued to emerge is also connected to badge drinking, which was a term that both of us just recently learned. Um, so a badge drinking uh, essentially is like if you're at the nightclub and you see somebody in a VIP booth. And they have multiple bottles out there. That's badge drinking. It's it's trying to show off to people of really what you're doing. Um, it's not when a Girl Scout wears a badge that just says drinking on it. No, that's that's strictly a Southwest thing. Um, so, but on a worldwide <laughs> basis, now they now they really talk about badge drinking in Asia and then in Africa is where like this, this phrase is more commonly used in America. You really refer to these guys as like douchebags and stuff like that. But outside of that, it's just, it's, you know, bad tricky, but they're one of the trends that you've seen. And the reason this connects to this live auction thing is because of COVID and all the different shutdowns and stuff like that, badge drinking has started to change and it's no longer about having you know, fireworks in your bottles as they go out to your VIP booth. It's about showing what you're drinking online and showing your impeccable taste, how much money you have, big age statements. They definitely tend to um, to kind of gravitate more towards single malt scotches and cognacs and um, very old wines as well. So with all this being said, Chris, what to you is the ultimate badge drink and or bottle? Uh, Pappy 23. That was, that was a very quick answer. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm sporting Pappy 23, it's, uh, and uh, there's a bottle on my table or uh, on my couch, 
in the club because we all know how much I love the club. Uh, <laughs> then, uh, then that's uh, I'm I'm peacocking the fuck out of that, you know. And I, uh, which I'm was actually to, uh, a phrase that was used in this article was peacocking. that's right, that's right, yeah. It's pretty incredible <laughs> that peacocking has moved into the mainframe. It is uh, it is now considered uh, uh, very uh, less avant garde. And uh, more of a, you know, hip with it terminology. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's with something like this is obviously there's not like a whole lot of like heavy news story here. I think I was just enamored with the fact that they call this badge drinking. And there's like a there's a phrase that is respected amongst people who are thinking about this that they're called. We call this badge drinking. And yeah. And, you know, I, of course, me being me. Now I have to create a badge for said drinking and mm-hmm. uh, figure out a way to give it to people who earn it and deserve it. That would be amazing. Yeah. Because uh, it. <laughs> yeah. Apart from the badge drinking, uh, the, the, um, the auction aspect of this story is something that I, I'm convinced that America will come around to to like figuring out a way to make legal um there there was a point in time when we could at least sell off uh uh lots of wine if you want to see a good story as to why that's a terrible idea you should watch sour grapes on netflix uh you'll earn a very specific uh loathing for a very a very uh, a certain human being um who ruined it pretty much for all of us uh, but I think that like auctioning off whiskeys and auctioning off lots of wine isn't something that will just remain relegated to Europe or to China. I mean, the fact that China is surpassing the rest of the world in these auctions, I think says a lot. Um, and I think that the rest of the world will eventually take note and change change their rules, change their laws and and create a methodology and a a legal uh, um, vehicle. Or, yeah, yeah. A legal vehicle for, for us to be able to, to do that. Yeah. Cause I do, I mean, you know, this is something that, that I th- yeah, we've talked about multiple times is d- different auctions and, and what things go, go for and, and different records that have been set, you know, over the past year. And it, it, it does seem like every single time you hear about, Oh, this, the biggest bottle went to this buyer who's based out of China. And that has just been like a common theme going, going throughout. And, you know, and and I think also the reason that we like to bring this stuff up as well is, is thinking about whiskey as this commodity, which is, which is really a double-edged sword because on one hand, I'm more like, I want people to view it this way because I want people to respect it. Like this is an art form Um, and your most expensive things tend to be single malt scotches right in terms of the of really what's going and you know we of course are in heavy bourbon country so you have all these guys who are freaking out over non-age statement bourbons and and things like that you want to be like no no no, that's not where the value is the value is in these single malts now with that being said i'm also the person who at any given time will have half of my collection open because 
and, and actually probably more than that because I actually like to drink it. So it's, um, you know, it's like one of those things like, Hey, you know, go out and collect these things, but not to sell them down the road, but to drink them because they're amazing. And I want you guys to experience it as well. You know? Yeah. I, I, th- I mean, I agree with you. It's a double-edged sword. I, I think that there's value in collecting, but there's no, there's no respect given to somebody who simply just collects, right? Like you have to understand yeah. what it is that you're collecting and therefore it cre- it gives value, an additional value apart from what everybody else says is the value of your collection to your collection because you validate it with your own experience and with what you've done. Um, and what you have consumed and, and what you've offered to the rest of the universe and to the world based on your consumption. That's, I mean, those are the things that we really see, right? Like we see Daryl Cordy and his collection and Daryl Cordy, who's a grocer here in Sacramento, who not very many people know, but has had an outstanding impact on the culinary and booze scene in, in America. Uh, and his, uh, collections that he sells off little bits and little bits at a time, you know, those go to auction in, in England, they go to, you know, auction in Europe. Um, and they, it means something to have his name attached to that now. Right. Um, it's not just, Oh, I just have a bottle. It's because it's also attached to that person. (laughs) And then our final story this one's actually mildly upsetting, so so we're going to get through this together. But the Spanish government is now offering offering subsidies to wine growers across Spain to destroy parts of their fields in an effort to not flood the market when um, when they're actually able to harvest and start producing wine. Right now, export sales due to COVID nineteen are down. 49%. So in a industry which is already suffering from a loss of value, it's now even worse with as they described it people not having much to celebrate right now are not drinking as much wine. Um similar issues are popping up in the Champagne region of France as well. Most um you know there's a lot of support for this and there's also a lot of people who are against this most of them being small producers who feel that this is just a way for some of the bigger houses to renegotiate deals and to um also disenfranchise these smaller producers by forcing them to destroy parts of their fields um that that they don't really have to lose because there's been all kinds of issues over the past year. One of them was actually, there were some fields that were hit with mildew that lost a lot of things. So it's, um, it's in, there's definitely an incentive there, but it's also, you know, a really difficult decision. So Chris, if you were in this, in this spot, I mean, and you, and you obviously do sell a lot of Spanish wine as well. Um, what would you do? Yeah, man, I would hold out. I would, uh, I would, uh, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard choice to make because you don't want to see the value of your, of your product drop so far, Mm -hmm. but at the same point in time, destroying your produce kind of helps maintain that value because it's a, you know, it's a supply and demand type of issue. I love Spanish wine. I love dope champagne. 
Um, and uh, I think you could attest to this, Drew, is uh, I've, I've turned you into a convert of dope champagne as well. You are someone who had not had very much and has recently had some good stuff, right? Well, I've, I, I do want to make it clear that I've only had the one good champagne. <laughs> and it, it happens to be a, um, a not cheap version. <laughs> so um, <laughs> while I certainly appreciate it, it is, uh, I was just kind of like, I was like, okay, well, if I'm, if I'm paying that much for it, it fucking better taste delicious. And it did. So uh, I'm definitely on the champagne wagon now that I know of what it could be, but I'm still taking that as a win, my man. It is a win. It absolutely is a win. Um, but at the same time, you know, if we were to flood the market and I get that champagne for a little bit cheaper, I'm not mad at it. So Yeah, and I, I feel the same way. I mean, champagne is a different story, right? Like it's it, it comes with a price tag because it's champagne. It has that name. It has that marketing. It, it's You already paid that. It's sort of like Napa Cabs, right? Like you you know what you're paying for when you when you buy it. And, and you already know what you sort of have to come to the table with in order to get something that's of value. Spanish wines, on the other hand, are not that way. Spanish wines are already incredibly, incredibly inexpensive and incredibly delicious. If you were to take a person out of the blue who just had this hard like this hard line of you get what you pay for in terms of wine. And in order to get good wine, you have to spend a lot of money and you were to walk them through Spanish wines. They would lose their fucking minds because they'd be spending $20 on something they would assume would be $40, $50. And then if you were to give them a $50 bottle or $75 bottle or a hundred dollar bottle of Spanish wines, it would be it would be a, a religious experience. The reason for that is because old producers in in areas of France, areas of Spain, areas of Italy own their land already. Whereas in the U.S., they're still leasing the land. They're still they're still paying for it from the bank. The taxes for it are so expensive, and it's not the same way in old world wines. So we can we can still get those wines for better quality, uh, not always better quality, but for for good quality to the U.S., even with tariffs, even with taxes placed onto it, um, that are simply just good, you know? And I'm not, I'm not sold that, that Spain needs to destroy all their, you know, half their crops. Um, I definitely see how this is going to hurt smaller uh, vintners because they have less to give. You know, if, if, if those subsidies were going to larger, um, to larger manufacturers, or let's say that, that those subsidies were going to laying down some of that wine and only releasing it in in certain allotments. I would see that as a better investment. Yeah. Also, you know, but also in this story they they suggest that it's not just about burning. They they take some of those grapes and they turn them into Spanish brandy. So right. that sort yeah. of, that sort of excites me cuz I'm like, okay, Spanish brandy is also dope. 
maybe yeah. now we get to see an influx of Spanish brandy into the U.S. that also helps their economy in this way. And they're, they're able to take what should be a happy time of having a huge crop and, and actually making money off of it as opposed to playing defense with it, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think that, you know, we're – I'd much rather to see that. You know, they also even brought up like you know neutral neutral spirit as well, which you know again I, th- I think is a better use than than destroying destroying your crops. And and I did find it confusing because I was just like, okay, well, I guess it's I guess it's like a foreshadowing of the problem because you know let's hope that when we do kind of escape the coronavirus and stuff like that, like you know people will come back to buy, but. I guess it just depends on like how quick that turnaround is, you know, and people getting that wine released back out into the world. And I, I don't know, it's, it's a complicated situation and, you know, I can see why it would be attractive to, to the smaller vintners and stuff, because if you think about it, you're like, okay, well, if it's already hard enough to sell wine now, if I'm competing against some of these bigger producers and they know that they just, got rid of a bunch of their stuff, but now they, they took all the subsidies. So they do have this money still to stay big and maybe they'll put more money into marketing or into market presence. And it's just like, you know, how am I, how am I going to survive this? Like, do I just, do I just sacrifice my, my fields and go from there? So I don't think there's any real easy answer to it. And unfortunately, I, I think you brought up to me earlier is like, this is actually something that occurs a lot within the U S as well, but in, it just in terms of edible food, which to me it was just like absolutely, um, absolutely crazy. So I, I'm not sure what they should do moving forward. But if I was them, I, I'm I'm with you. I would say hold out, and hopefully you can lay some stuff down. And then when you do, we'll be able to drink it later, and we can actually finally celebrate. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm just not uh, I'm just not of the mind that I think destroying edible or usable product is ever the right answer. Like, I think we, I think as humans, we're more creative than that, right? Like we can come up with something else to do. You know who's dope? Them over there. Okay. And now it is time for our final segment of the, uh, of the podcast. And that is our dope follows of the week. My dope follow this week is actually um, people that I have quite a history with. And um, it's actually two women who have just started a new Facebook show. And along with that is like their Instagram and stuff like that. And it is called Import Taste underscore wine. And basically what they do is they just sit there and they drink a bunch of different stuff and they talk about it and have really, really good um, – really good conversations about it. I mean, I think I know at least one of them, Caitlin for sure has her psalm. I'm not sure about Brittany, but um, I I think I went to junior high and high school with them. And then no shit. Of, yeah. And then all out of left field, they start doing this. And I, and I knew that one of them, Caitlin had, had been working on, on getting her, um, 
her like level one song done. And so, um, and she's just like one of the raddest chicks ever. Um, and so when they started doing this show, I was like, this is so cool. And just the other day they had posted, um, some Georgian wine. So that's also been oh, like, shit. I, new, uh, I totally reached jam. out. I totally reached out to them, uh, like two weeks ago and have been sleeping on a, on a return email, uh, just because life has been hectic. Um, I just discovered them maybe, maybe like two or three weeks ago. Um, I fucking love them. They're great. Yeah. So that's how I actually did see that, that you had liked one of their posts, but yeah, I went to junior high and high school with them and they started this fun show and I've tuned in for a couple and it's just, you know, again, I think the last time I checked in with at least Caitlin, it was, she was, uh, you know, teaching, you know, she was like a college professor. And then I couldn't even tell you what, what the other one's been doing for a while but i was like i was like i know her and um it's just really cool to see people who you know you have this shared history with and now they're they're essentially in my industry now you know and they're doing it as like this passion project um and they're and they're doing a great job is really what it is so so again it's um it's in poor taste uh underscore wine is their is their Instagram. And then I believe if you just type that into Facebook as well, you can, you can find, um, you can find them on there. And, uh, I don't know what their current schedule is, but just click on it, do it and, um, check it out. Cause it's, it's, they're doing some really fun, cool stuff. Yeah. I, uh, I need to get back to them. Maybe we'll have them on as a uh, guest at some point in time. Uh, I, I really enjoyed their uh their sort of media narrative that they've they've had going on um it it speaks to my soul because they're quirky and they're fun but they're also educated so it's it's pretty great oh yeah like i said i mean i i i haven't stayed in in contact with Brittany, but i have somewhat with with caitlin and like every time i talk to her i'm like i'm like oh god you're like way smarter than me <laughs> which is which is oddly enough that's a trend with Caitlin's that I know. So yeah, um yeah. It's, that's uh, a that's a that's a that's a a wifey drop right there. Yeah. So um so yeah, they're they're having a good time. I'm actually looking at their Facebook right now and they're just dancing in their apartments and yeah, they're definitely they're weird and fun. So check them out. Awesome. Awesome. Uh mine is uh yesterday's limes on Instagram. Um, oh, that sounds amazing! Yeah, yesterday's limes is uh, is brought to us. I'm not exactly sure who runs this Instagram, but it's someone who knows what's up, and it's someone out of Portland. So keeping in, uh, I think I know, but I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent, so I don't want to. I don't want to say. Um, but it's uh, it's an interesting pro. It's someone who's who's a lifer and someone who drops truth bombs in a very, very comical way on a regular basis. And I strongly suggest that if you are in the industry, you follow yesterday's limes on Instagram because when, when they post, it's just gonna, it's gonna hurt so good. That's all. (laughs) Uh, Well, those are our dope follows of the week.
The Good Bottle Podcast is a product of Fluid Concepts. Music is by two brothers, Leon and Chase Moore, recorded remotely via Zencaster and produced poorly by us two guys. Before we go and finish these bottles we've been drinking, we ask that if you enjoyed this episode, you hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review. You can also follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook at The Good Bottle Podcast. If you would like us to cover a story, or if you're a brand that wants to be featured in a tasting, please email us, thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can purchase the bottles that we drank on this episode at thegoodbottleshop.com. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.